the most fucked up experiment ever is coming to you now as Colors of the Dark present the most fucked up movies of all time. <laughs> I, I wanted more of the brain. <laughs> he was kind of cute. It's like, like the brain. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Colors of the Dark podcast. Oh, there's the brain. I get the brain instead of Elric. So yeah, he, he does seem like a pretty cute co-host. Hi there, brain. Um, but I am your co-host, Rebecca McKendry. And with me is my co-host. I threw to you, dude. That's you. I thought th- yeah, th- you forgot my name. I was like, damn, short lifespan here. Uh, I'm yes. throwing to you. Oh, God. No, forget it. Forget it. We're who, done. Who, We're done. Who, We're live. And, who and wants we, to introduce himself? Come on. We lost the show. It's done right there. Um, uh, well, <laughs> well we, may, we just. Uh, oh, go ahead. You go. I think we're still on our no, delays. Um, I'm, I'm in a different country. I'm somewhere in New Zealand recording this. Uh, I've escaped pre-election. Uh, you're somewhere in the deep south, I believe. Um, and we're, the play, things couldn't be more fucked up, so why not discuss some fucked up? Right? <laughs> I feel like that's the way to go. Um, especially because we just did the MPAA uh, on our live show that just posted a couple hours ago. Yep. Uh, highlighting rating system. Why not go for the movies that are going to uh, skirt some of that? Yeah. And so this was actually a really fun um, deep dive into kind of looking at my own psyche in a way and realizing that, you know, the movies that I consider to be um, super haunting, the ones that will like stick with me forever are not necessarily the ones that are considered to be the most fucked up. Um, and then kind of like, you know, the the appeal of them, like, why do we want to see the most shocking films ever made? Like, why would you want to make that? Um, and, and kind of digging into, you know, how what scares me when I was young has changed now that I'm a, an adult. Yeah, yeah, that was the first thing when, when we were approaching this, because obviously we're going to kind of run down 10 films that are widely considered to be the most fucked up or disturbing. But then we picked 10 to focus on a little more that are actually, you know, there's more entertainment value or deeper cuts that we like. But uh, before that, the thing that kind of crossed my mind was that feeling when we were young, that something was taboo or that our friends had talked about it or that we had seen on a shelf that we were a little concerned about watching. Uh, I haven't obviously felt that much as an adult, but do you remember the last time you rented something or grabbed something that you had heard something about and you're a little trepidatious about putting it on. Yeah, there's been a couple. And I mean, um, I remember feeling that with Serbian film just because everybody was like, oh, this is like the most extreme movie ever. Um, And then there was one that came out shortly thereafter, Serbian film, which I believe was also from a Serbian filmmaker um, called Life and Death of a Porno Gang. And I remember people saying that it is worse than Serbian film, um, which I I never saw it, but I remember that. Yeah, it's it's pretty extreme. Um, And I remember for both of those kind of having that like uh, not being scared to watch, but like, you know, having to dare myself, like the same feeling I would have got when somebody told me to watch Cannibal Holocaust at age 16. Um, that kind of like, you know, what am I getting myself into? Is this going to wreck me forever? Baskin. I'd heard a lot about Baskin. None of it turned out to be true. That was not the most extreme movie ever made by any stretch. Um, but I'd heard a lot going in about how, you know, this movie will fuck your shit up. And so I remember kind of feeling it with that. And then, um, Martyrs. I'd say I definitely just because I'd heard so much. And I think that that's a lot of it is it's always the hype. 
it's always one of my friends coming up to me and being like, oh, raw. I remember hearing stuff before raw and kind of having that, you know, am I ready for this? Um, people have vomited. Okay. Am I ready well, it's, for this? It's that, but also it's in that kind of bootleg period or the period before something comes out for me, what it was the last time I remember feeling like, do I even want to push play was martyrs. And it was before it had gone wide at all i don't remember how i had it i just think maybe i had um an international copy or something and it was just this feeling that like lasts for the first like 10 minutes of the movie because you're bringing in the sense of like kind of your heart's already kind of at a certain rhythm you start watching and it is pretty real and pretty disturbing and intense mm-hmm. and you go with that obviously that movie does deliver on on all those kind of uh promises but of course it's not going to be as bad as anything you have in your mind but it's something i miss i, I miss that feeling with horror and one thing about a lot of these movies that they share is if they're fantastical like baskin is with color more you know more color it, it tends to kind of not disturb you as much even if it's intense yeah but but when it's real it can really get you you know some of these movies have in common as a sense of realism and, and definitely intensity. and i will say that's most of the movies on this list do have that element of realism um, I will say what I don't have anymore is um, that feeling that I used to get. And I think that I probably would if I watched more movies on the internet, like through shady means like YouTube or like finding sites with weird links and downloading files. But when I first really started um, seeking out wow, no, there's- horror fan, it was when I was ordering tapes out of the back of Fangoria magazine. And this is when I was in high school in the late 90s into college, where if you wanted to see guinea pig, um, you couldn't just go to the local blockbuster. Like you could either try to find a video store, a weird one that would have the whole guinea pig series, or you could go through those shady ads in the back of Angoria. I just like this image of you looking for guinea pig movies. (laughs) I watched it. I, I, I got... So that's how I actually ended up seeing a lot of really extreme international stuff. A lot of international stuff, including Cannibal Holocaust, um, was through these ads in the back of Fangoria where it would say thousands of rare and um, international dubs send for a list. And you would Mm -hmm. write this address. It was usually a P.O. box and you would send like a buck with it. And they would send you back a shittily Xeroxed list of every movie they have. And it was like $5 and you would, it was $5 per title. And so you would write down what you would want. You would then kind of blind faith, send a check for like 50 bucks for your five, you know, 10 movies to random PO box. And then a month later you would get your 10 tapes. And I remember that I had some where it was like, you know, somebody had clearly dubbed this from a dub and I had those for a long time. It wasn't until DVDs started coming out that I kind of, you know, upgraded and decided I didn't necessarily need it until DVDs started coming out that I kind of, you know, upgraded and decided I didn't necessarily need a nice version of the, the whole guinea pig series, only mermaid in a manhole. That's the important one. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, that I, I kind of, you know, could, could part with some of these, but a lot of like the early Giallo films, that's how I saw them. Those aren't extreme. Um, but yeah, it yeah, was still right, that. For the but, most they part. Always, but there was always this kind of air of, of mystery and danger that I felt. Um, like yeah. I am literally watching this like 
homemade, basically unlabeled, like handwritten VHS tape that says it's some rare Japanese movie that I've never seen before, nor did I at the time have any means to research it. Um, So who the fuck knew what I was about to watch, but that was part of it. It was like sampling a new drug or, or, you know, doing something forbidden or something that I wasn't supposed to be seeing or it, it had this air of danger to it. And so I would watch anything that came in that format because there was a rush behind it. Yeah, it's one of the d- differences with age. When we're at that age, we're still discovering the world and learning through all these kind of taboo edges of society, mm. of art and media. And now looking at the list of the 10 that we uh, kind of consider, you know, mainstream uh, picks for a list like this, a lot of these movies would just make me sad now. You know what I mean? And that's a big difference in age because watch, it doesn't mean I wouldn't like some of them are really great movies, but there's something in them that you've as an adult come to about, about the universe that when you're young, you're still looking for. And there's a huge difference in how that makes you feel. No, it's true. Um, I think that there's a bleakness now that I don't necessarily want in my movies. And it's not that I don't appreciate it, but um, like one that we did not put on the list that I definitely consider to be a really fucked up movie is Threads. And yeah. like if someone had handed me Threads when I was in like my 20s, I would have watched it with guts gone on and been like, have you seen threads like daring other people to see it? And now I end that movie and I'm like, the world is a horrible place. And I'm just internally sad. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's and war a, movies a, are, and nuclear Holocaust movies are yeah. always a, are always a bummer. Surprisingly, uh, that one's particular, probably the bleakest. I would say that might be the bleakest film I've ever seen. It's right up there, but it's also yeah. really well made. It's, you know, and it it's probably a great does movie. It yeah, the ones great. that have a political context are a little different because when we talk about shock value, right, some of these films are trying to shock for shock's sake or mm-hmm. for the sake of, you know, entertainment. And a couple of them are really with a very firm political uh, context or backbone. Those yep. um, don't even, I mean, they might be on this list, but they are in a different category when you think about it because you realize that they are trying to work towards something, uh, whether the audiences are going to understand them or not. Obviously, there's the, the big one uh, I would be talking about here is going to be on this list, Salo, because it's, yeah. you know, it's something that's disgusting, no matter if you get the politics or not, it's still grotesque. Um, but it also has a very, you know, uh, solid uh, political context. And therefore, it, it feels like it's in a different lane than what a lot of these films were trying to pursue? I don't know. Well, I mean, sometimes I think that it's possible for the politics to get lost in the gore. Like, I think yeah. that there, um, with some of the ones that we we kind of did not um, put on our main list, things like In a Glass Cage or Men Behind the Sun, those are both two highly shocking, yeah. haunting movies that I will take with me the rest of my life. And they both have a political message behind them but for me a lot of it gets lost in kind of the shock value like if somebody asks me about the political message behind men behind the sun i have to sit here and think about it in lieu of harvesting organs and things like that it's also cultural though i think some of those are specifically foreign and sometimes we'll know we'll know a little bit say about spanish culture and spanish civil war but we like i think especially with something like salo when that is exported we get probably a tenth of the context mm-hmm. and and it was clearly That's enough true. to to do in Pasolini like to potentially to have gotten him killed for making that movie so but but most of these aren't like that and and some of them are on the fringe of that and some of them have messages that we don't even like you say we don't see because we're so enamored by the gore or the blood, or the sadism a lot of them have a sadistic yeah. 
quality to them, which um, is something I kind of have definitely outgrown. Like I don't necessarily, I'm certainly not interested in seeing suffering particularly mm-hmm. uh, at, at later parts of my life, but you know, a lot of them are fun and we're going to, we're going to definitely stick with a lot that are fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and then again, for like everyone that I say, I've grown past that. Like I loved martyrs. Martyrs was great yeah. for me. It's one that I still recommend to people. Um, will I watch it again? we'll see i don't know but then i actually again, I did for the first it, time and, and thought it was still really great like entertainment wise i thought it's still a very good movie with a great ending you know and kind of grabs you and there is something that's really cathartic about some of these movies um which is is odd when we think about kind of how our brains process things um because there is something that i kind of take from these movies that helps me cope with things better in my regular life it's kind of the idea of when I'm pissed off, I listen to heavy metal music and it helps me come out the other side a little bit different, like pushing the catharsis even a little bit further somehow kind of allows me to kind of, you know, soul cleanse a little bit. Um, so I will say there is definitely for some of the movies on this list, when I'm feeling really shitty, this is something I would watch. Um, so it, it may not particularly be martyrs, but yeah, there's definitely a lot on here that I consider kind of cat palate and soul cleansing yeah no every monday because i you know everyone hates mondays every monday night i tend to watch funny games and it's just something i do i I, and i rewind it right at a key scene and i'm just like it's endlessly looped entertainment for your dark scene it's just the egg scene all night long yeah i like that scene uh for your hanneke soul um but yeah so well why don't we well because i'm sure random stuff's going to pop up all the way through this so there's 10 movies we listed, we'll just count uh, 10 that are considered all going to be ones that would make lists for anywhere yeah. you would. So we'll run those down if they mean anything to us, and then we'll get into yeah. 10 deeper ones. So we'll call these like the 10 most fucked up canon films. Like yeah. these are the ones that we think that probably most people have seen. But if you have not, this is definitely kind of like a canon film in the world of shock shock value films yeah Um, and we're going to start off with the one that we've been talking about so far which is martyrs um martyrs when it came out in 2008 directed by um pascal linguier i always say yeah laguier yeah um laguier thank you um i remember i was working at fangoria at the time and i remember it being like a big discussion of could we put it on the front cover um because it's the girl with her teeth removed and it's this kind of like crucifixion pose and it's real intense and um we ended up putting it on the cover and it was our best-selling issue of the year, um, which shows, I don't think we're, people were buying it because they knew what martyrs were as was. It was that shocking cover, like the shock value sold it. Um, that, and this that was, film has layers, man. Like yeah. what's interesting is people will think of the ending. If they've seen it, they're thinking of the ending right now, but what they forget is what, why that movie works and why it was actually effective to go back to. It has a first shock in the first 10 minutes uh, with a mm-hmm. family being murdered. Then, then you kind of go into a house and then you go to, into a basement and you see something that's really messed up and then it takes you to this whole other philosophical ethereal really messed up so it just keeps kind of one-upping and i don't think enough movies usually a lot of these movies that will have that one consistent shock or be some awful rapey thing that like house at the edge of the park type movie that just is Mm. like and that's not on our list but that obviously is in that kind of conversation but this movie actually has an idea and the idea gets deeper and deeper and deeper don't think that's that common with a lot of these movies yeah and where kind of cerebral and heady this goes that's what blew my mind at the time and that's what i took away from me i mean yes it's got all of these 
you know, cranial nail pulling moments. But at <laughs> the same time, what I take away is is the message behind it and the ultimate kind of, you know, the deeper quest of what is a martyr and how do they become it. Um, and so, and it's got a bit of revenge fun. twist, which I yeah, like. Yeah, it does. A little bit of this is. This is one that I always point to that I'm like, even if it was hyper, hyper gory, it was trying to do something with it. Like the gore was the means to something to make a bigger statement um, about kind of, you know, what what it means to be human. Yeah. Um, Well, what it means to be human. Henry is a human and uh, portrait of a killer. This is. I, this is one I had seen when I was young, really disturbed me. I kind of was obsessed by serial killers in my 20s, and I was studying criminology and stuff. And I watched this. This came to theaters again a couple of years ago. Um, forgetting that you did criminology as an undergrad. Yeah, I know. So that was the world I was so interested in. And when I saw this again on the big screen... I really thought it was one of the best made movies I've ever seen, mm-hmm. like in terms of craft, simplicity and performance. And it has, I think, the scene where they watch the abuse of the woman and then rewind it. And it's revealed to have been a movie. I think that's one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen in my life, like in mm-hmm. any media, because it just the the complete distancing of the character to what they're watching is what you really I think that's as close as we've ever seen a serial killer of that kind of mind portrayed real it just feels so authentic that they just don't see it they just don't connect it's like like imagine if they looked at you and they were hunting you it's like they're seeing you through a a screen you know and there's a like there's a remove constantly and it's such a good performance by rooker no, I um I first saw this one when I was in grad school. Like I was in my 20s when I saw this for the first time. I was in New York and um when I was in film school and uh I had an editing professor who was like enamored with um exploitation cinema, which definitely kind of pushed me forward in in exploitation, not even horror stuff, but more exploitation. But I remember the lesson on editing. He pulled out two films and he was trying to teach us the idea of um, how you can convey violence without actually seeing it. And he showed this scene, um, the one at the beginning where you see the girl walking along with the guitar, you see Henry, and then in the next scene you see the guitar. And then you Mm -hmm. see her dead body. And it's the idea of kind of, you know, kind of giving us that this kind of horrible violent act had but we never saw it he also always showed the the texas chainsaw massacre scene where um there's actually nothing shown where you see mm-hmm. leatherface leatherface picks up girl you see meat hook you see girl you see meat hook you see leatherface raise his arms you see girl scream and then it's a wide and she's on the meat hook like you never actually see it go in you never see the insertion it's, or anything like that and it's yeah, the, the idea of, of the editing. mind yeah. And that I remember, that is what I remember about Henry is we don't actually see Henry do any of the killing throughout half the movie. Yeah. Um, and it's important in that case because we're almost kind of identifying him as a person. If we yeah. open the film with him hyper violent, it would have to be a completely different movie in order to keep the audience going, um, which we'll talk about a couple of those in a sec. But You start to care and empathize and you kind of hope that maybe it won't get worse. You kind of hope yeah. maybe he can change. Maybe when his sister, when the sister shows up, you kind of feel like, oh, maybe there's another path. And then yeah. when it doesn't, it's, it's that much more disturbing. 
atmosphere. It's a really well made film, uh, but we got to keep moving because we got. Kitty oh kitty. yes, thank you, thank you. Kitty, kitty, um, kitty. So, number eight, we have audition. This is one that I went into knowing nothing about it. Um, I remember going to a screening in New York, and at this time, um, like no one knew anything about this movie. It was it was very kind of early of when it started coming over to the U.S. And um, yeah, this one just completely blew me away. Yeah, one of my favorite theatrical experiences as well, like seeing it, not knowing much about it, thinking it was a great movie, and then having a moment where I still to this day haven't seen an audience jump like they do with the bag and the telephone yeah. scene. That, that to me is still the, probably the best moment I've been in a movie theater watching a crowd react. It was just so good. And, oh, and it's God. just a great movie. Like if anyone said to me, what would be the best movie if you had to do a remake of, you know, and, and thinking of that, it could actually connect an American Hollywood, a version set in Hollywood with a Hollywood producer casting for what I don't know if it yep. would translate, but I think that movie uh, has legs. Um, There's okay, definitely kept- a version of it. So number seven, we had um, Haneke's funny games, which we've already talked about. Um, but yeah. yeah, this one is disturbing with no gore but i will also say haneke's benny's game actually disturbed me more than funny games yeah they, they all have like benny's game sorry, yeah, benny's, benny's video benny's, benny's video, video yeah. they feel so con- connected benny's video it is the same actor Cache, it's got yeah but benny's well, video kid, definitely the, the kid and benny is the guy in uh funny the main games. psychopath and funny games just growing up and i do th- i think that's purposeful it does feel like they're very similar in terms yeah. of how they're playing with media how it's actually similar to henry like rewinding the death scene and coming back. It is still very disturbing. I didn't think the American version translated anywhere near as well. The kind of comedy of manners side of it. Cause it has mm-hmm. got a humor to it. It's got a very dark humor yep. that makes you feel almost bad <laughs> for laughing. Um, but Haneke in general, cachet is also disturbing. The piano teacher is incredibly disturbing. So he is a filmmaker, but again, he's continually philosophical, right? He, he Constantly. is, trying to probe what it means to be human and that's why i think he is not often discussed in horror as much like mm-hmm. that's why i think his films aren't often talked about as horror movies per se he's like yeah. on an art film circuit even though his films could be horror films what's we we tend to let funny games slide like funny games will let into horror but i have had to yeah. argue cachet so many times and that one actually has bloodshed in it and gets pretty messed up oh, I like, mean, way- one sequence yeah where the, the throat yeah. cut is Really shocking. It's like a jump scare of yeah. the way that it's structured. And so I've had to argue that as horror so many times. But yeah, cachet, that one like destroyed me more so than funny games did because you're right, yeah. funny games is kind of funny. Um yeah. at yeah, points, at least the original. And they're charming, yeah. Yeah. Um, so number six, um, we put fate. I'm not a fan now, but when when I was a kid, yeah. I watched all these. Um, and this is Faces of Death. Um, so this these started in 1978 with the um, the famed Dr. Francis B. Gross uh, hosting them all. And these definitely came out of the Mondo film movement. Um, they are somewhat fake. Usually they are comprised of about half faked footage, half real. And as they went along in the series, they started getting more and more fake. Like suddenly you're seeing like giant leeches wrapping people's torsos because they swam next to the nuclear power plants and stuff like that. Um, but all of them definitely really intense. There ended up being legal cases brought against these, which I was not aware of till I was looking at them today, um, where a high school math teacher showed it in his classroom. I don't know how or why, um, but totally some of metal. the some of the students sued, saying it had like melted them for life. So there you go. 
I just said students complain about the opening scene of Unforgiven being too violent and that I didn't warn them about a Western that won all the Oscars. This next generation, if I put on Salo, people would actually die. Their hearts would stop. <laughs> you know, some of their brains would they could, like bubble up. It's just a totally different world. Like, um, I give but, so many trigger warnings in my class now. Uh, we should be given one of those before this podcast that everything uh, that we were going to talk about is just absolutely abhorrent. Um, my, but, yeah. I will say, and this is a totally different conversation, but my I do have a problem with trigger warnings. I think if an individual comes and tells you why they need it, that's different. But a blanket trigger, the reason is all you can see is that. So if I say, I remember I showed four months, three weeks, two days, which is one of the most shocking and kind of almost fits a list like this, but about abortion. And because I had to say one thing up front, all they can see is that one moment. So they're just waiting and it changes how you experience a movie. And I, I never had that going into a movie besides general warning, you know. I don't know, because I think like in high school, when like the teacher would say that the book had been banned, I would spend the entire book trying to figure out why it had been banned. Like, you know, Catch-22 is really boring up to one scene. And then you're like, oh, um, I know. But if or, I told yeah. you like, well, but watch out for this one scene where, where they slash the throat. The, now all you're watching is every That's scene. That's all waiting. I'm reading for is that Catch-22 isn't boring. But, it is when you're 12 reading for that one scene. But I understand. Um, I understand. I'm not going to play yeah. Faces of Death. Them. I will say just even trying to watch to rewatch the trailer for this. I did not want to watch it. I started watching. I was <laughs> so, like, oh, I don't want to see anything real or even close nah. to that. Like real, it just kind of. No, this is, and I mean, I think this still exists. It's just called Live Leak now. Um, You can still get a live leak and see all this stuff. Um, I think that the appeal of Faces of Death was definitely more on kind of the dare shockumentary angle. Um, This is nothing that I would particularly watch today. Um, But yeah. I think the biggest thing is pre YouTube. I think that's yeah. the big difference. We are in a world now where anything could be leaked, at least for a while, online. Or it could be on YouTube. This was set in a world where you didn't have access to know what an autopsy looked like. Yeah. You didn't know what other cultures were like. And so I, it makes total sense why this would be such a big thing. It just, for me, is is pretty boring now in that level. Um, cool what it achieved. It's nowhere near as cool as sexy time we have coming up. Hit that with the sexy time. I don't know if I call this sexy time, and that would be necromantic. Um, this was definitely one that we dared each other to watch in high school. It's just a bunch of corpse fucking. Um, and then there's also necromantic, yes. too. But um, George Butchergig um, is another yeah. last name that I've never once said properly. Um, but, yeah, these were definitely something that I remember kind of, you know, it was the dare. And we all, you know, dared each other to, like, make it through. Um, this one actually had some interesting aesthetic to it, I remember. It wasn't shot well. Um, but it's, it's something pretty gory that still- the way it's shot. Yeah, I think the second one was better. I haven't seen these for forever, and I remember. I haven't either. It was not my bag. Like I was like, oh, it's interesting. And then as soon as it becomes like she, I know his girlfriend. They bring home a corpse, and then his girlfriend starts to prefer the corpse to him. And I just Mm, remember. And that was the whole. No, yeah, that's the whole plot. Um, So moving on to um, one of Elric's favorites, Salo. No, it's not. I, I think it's. I think it's an amazingly made movie, but I don't know if I can look at Salo again. Uh, there's sequences that, that are amazing, but it's just again, it's a director showing you the absolute truth of the worst possible scenario of what humans yeah. are capable of. And he's, but he's doing it not to shock. Well, he's shocking you, but he's not doing it because he's getting off on that. He's doing it because he is. It's a warning. It's a cry. It's, it's an, a. Bl- it's a bloodied warning of what could have happened in the 
wait period of say the holocaust and uh you know in the in the shadow of world war Two, uh, and it's just you see everything every everyone is defiled every down to their absolute core from uh, eating shit to being uh physically defiled by men women whatever every it's equal opportunist abuse and it's it's really too much but in the same token it's a fucking criterion movie right mm-hmm. it's on the criterion because for a reason because he's making a statement with it and um it's it certainly got uh was a pretty con- big condemnation of the catholic church so uh, yes. a lot of people think they are part of the reason he is no longer with us so uh who knows if that's true some people think it was just a random wow you know, oh my gosh so. i had not heard that story yeah, so his Pasolini was, uh, after this movie came out, he was beaten to a bloody pulp and murdered. And uh, no one knows, There were, some people believe it was because of this film and, uh, you know, connections to the church. And other people believe he was, uh, he picked up a, a male hustler and the male hustler, like, just, you know, took it out on him. There's a movie with Willem Dafoe uh, playing Pasolini brilliantly by Abel Ferrer from last year that goes with the latter. It's not about the movie so much. It's much more about picking up somebody who then um, a situation kind of got out of hand and he's beaten to death. But either way, it, it's, a, you know, it's, it obviously leaves a pretty big impression in film history. Yeah. So. Um, so next up is our second Mike on the list. Now we had a couple of Mikes that we were throwing around. Um, we definitely talked about visitor Q. That's still the grossest to me and the craziest. It's to the me. grossest, but I wanted to go more kind of shocking extreme. Like visitor Q yeah. is gross, but there's never a time. Like I gasp during that and I no. wretch, but this is one where I was just like, Oh my God. And this is Ichi the killer. Um, which is definitely the more violent one, I will say. Um, Ichi the Killer, I remember seeing this um, when they released that awesome box cover where his mouth actually came apart, um, was when I finally was like, okay, well, this is fancy. I'm going to finally sit down and watch this. And it is a um, Yakuza film. It is not a horror film. It is straight up Yakuza, but it is about a Yakuza killer um, who has had his mind manipulated and they keep doing it and they keep kind of changing his thought process to believe all different types of stuff. And so that's kind of how they make him the most brutal killer ever. And it is really intense. And he's not doing all of the killing. A lot of the times it's other people and he's being kind of pinned for it. Um, But it is one of these that kind of starts with a gun firing and does not stop for the entire movie. And honestly, yeah, if, you if I don't even know who's on what side for most of it, I'm just like, wait, he was with no, wait, he's being double crossed. I lose so much track of that. Hmm. And it's just all violence. It's just a cacophony of violence. If you watch um, Crank 2 and you're like, ah, I wish they pushed it further, that's this movie. It's like you watch Crank 2 and the energy of Crank 2 and it's like the energy of that movie is in this, but it, it pushes it even further and the violence is like just off the rails. Yes. Uh, but it's also a really good film. I mean, that's the thing we forget sometimes. Some of these people are great filmmakers and some aren't. Mickey's a great ma- filmmaker. Mickey's yeah. a great, like in terms of craft, like, I mean, I guess you get that way if you make 55 movies a year. Um, but, it, you know, some He's people who are like nine right now. Yeah. No, there's a lot of directors who aren't uh, who might make some of these lists who are not they're they're working on the fringes and they're using shock value to kind of get a foot in the door uh, like a lot of filmmakers have in the past so this is a different different level so yeah that's a great one um yeah. your number two is one that we know all too well and we've talked about uh for years of our lives now 
So this one, I will say, is not something like Ichi or Martyrs or Faces of Death where you spend the entire time kind of retching and getting worse and worse. This one just has one scene. Um, but that one scene is all you need. And this is Society, which Elric and I had to put on the list because we have so much um, fun history with it. Um, so this is one of those that I watched um, way too young. And then that final scene comes up and uh, it's it's just shocking. Like you can only see it once and then it does not have the same kind of shock value. But the first time you see it, it's, it's impressive. Um, we did a screening at this at Phoenix Van Fusion at, um, oh gosh, what was the name of the, the film bar at the film bar, the film bar. Thank you. The Phoenix film bar. And um, we asked the audience at the very beginning, how many people had seen it. And I think one person raised their hand and hearing the gasps, when that scene comes up, it was just a beautiful thing. Um, it was and, just and the like Gasper echoed when we started undressing at the end of the screening. Room. You did that. That was just you. Elric literally <laughs> at the end of the screening walks down, starts on doing his pants, and he's like, "No, let's uh, get this going." And I, th- I think that's what Marty. Yeah, I mean, weird. think that's where we're heading. But no, the thing about that movie is it's comic. So if that movie had been treated seriously, you would not. No one would make it through that. But the, the ending is so insane. But because it, the tone is so jokey and ridiculous, you know, you can get to it. But but the ending is something. To, and remember, this list is not the most intense or disturbing. It is the most fucked up. And I think that last scene could definitely vie for maybe the most fucked up thing ever filmed. I mean, it's just totally. <laughs> out there it's a a giant um yes i don't even know what we'd call that besides how uh, yeah yuzna ever convinced somebody to give him funding for that um and i mean i i it makes total sense in kind of the time period and what yuzna had done before and after it's very yuzna um but yeah from one one shunt to another we we go from the society shunt to number one shunt there's a a shunt there to Yes, there is. And that is Cannibal Holocaust. Um, This one is kind of the granddaddy of like double dare films, especially in the horror world. Like this is the one that I always hear like, oh, my God, have you seen Cannibal Holocaust? Um, That is kind of perceived as the most violent. I think a lot of it is because of the animal brutality, but it definitely does not stop there. And this is another one of those kind of equal opportunity offenders where everyone gets kind of, you know, defiled in this movie. So one of the conversations happening in media right now, especially this year, is our movie theater is going to die, blah, blah, blah. Um, I I fully don't believe they will. I think it'll just be lessened. But I will say, this movie I saw when it was still dangerous, I saw it on tape, did nothing for me, hardly even, like, it's just, like, kind of gross and didn't really even take it in. Watched it at the New Bev a few years and thought it was just amazing. Like, the way it's crafted. And I always tell people, like, this is the ultimate smoke and mirrors movie. This is the ultimate movie of, I will show you one brutality over here, and then when I show you this other thing, you will completely believe it because I showed you this thing first. If I showed you something with animals, when I showed you a, a woman and being through a spike you will completely think it's real and it's really kind of an incredible film on that level it has the most beautiful piece of music i think in all of movies in the most Soundtrack ugliest film so yeah. haunting yeah Ritzerlani's yeah. score is just this beautiful piece of music being you know up against this, these images that you'll never forget but yeah no so this is a movie that it took seeing it on a screen for me to understand what it was and really how it worked and I, I think it deserves that title of being maybe the most fucked up movie also I was telling the guys uh, bef- who were running this channel before we got on that um, Riguera Diodato actually had his actors sign a one-year waiver mm-hmm. saying they had to pretend they were dead for one full year of their <laughs> lives 
and you think how messed up that is. And that's why I had so much kind of legal ramifications. So yeah, uh, he ended up getting called into court as well and had to demonstrate how he put a woman on a spike, which is a really cool, innovative way. I always, um, and it all comes down to soundtrack for me. I always look at this against cannibal Ferox because they both have the same level of violence. They both kind of have the same setup, but why does Holocaust leave me feeling so kind of decimated, you know, just like there's nothing left. Like it is just, it blows up the world. Why even bother going on? And I don't take that away from Cannibal Ferox. And I feel like a lot of it is kind of the lingual filmmaking that Diodato applies. Like Ferox mm-hmm. feels more peppy and the soundtrack is as well. It's the same level as violence, but it's moving fast. Like you still feel it's like moving along whereas cannibal holocaust it just exists in this moment it's pulsating but it never looks away from it and i think that that's a big part of why it is so effective yeah yeah okay so this takes us into our most shocking deep cuts yeah and let's take a quick moment because people might not know what the hell our show is so let's just because we have a new audience we've only been on air for two episodes uh we're brand new to podcasting neither of us previously know us are you kidding you previously know us from eight years of shockwaves and killer pov and a little bit of inside horror we've been doing this shit for a while yeah we've been doing stuff like this for a long time but this is our new show and so we uh, you know we we know and we only knew people probably only knew we're doing it on here uh for a couple hours but um one thing that we are really excited about to do on anything we talk about is like looking for movies that are maybe lesser seen or need a little more love and that's part of what we just are excited about so there'll be a few of those on this and a few classics on here um but only one of them will have singing and dancing puppets and that is the first one on our kind of most fucked up movies ever deep cut list and that is meet the feebles from 1989. Now, I will say, when Elric first mentioned putting this on, I was kind of like, wait, all I remember is singing and dancing puppets, and I think they had sex a couple of times, but I'm not too sure if that's extreme. And then I had to go back and remember this movie, and that it also has heroin and um, a lot of sex. There's a lot of sex. And H- then there's H- like a- HIV and Vietnam and uh, full and every- massacre at the end as well. It's, I and honestly then, think it's one of the most disturbing movies ever made. It just happens to be with puppets and, and funny. But it, even when I was young, it was funny, but also like, ugh. like there's always a sense of it's kind of gross and repellent at the same moment, which so I that think was it, one of my questions. Like in New Zealand, did you watch this like crazy young, not realizing what it was? Like, is this one of the, oh, those things that got kind of like confused in the video store? No, I mean, this came, I mean, I, Bad Taste was the big one because no one, none of us had really seen a movie like that from New Zealand. Watch Bad Taste, then Meet the Feebles came within a couple years. And I think we were just floored. I thought we, we all were like, I mean, I was probably at 13 or something. I think we're all like, holy shit, he took the Muppets and just made it the dark side of showbiz. I mean, the opening scene of this movie, I'll never forget. I, I, I was at a stayover at somebody's house, a kid's house, and we're watching it. And it's a giant walrus having sex with a tiny cat. And you're just like, what am I watching? It's such a disturbing concept but then it's jokey and campy and 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 funnily enough to me has these kiwi accents so it's just bizarre that these puppets have you know the, the giant uh, is it a cow yeah she's a cow uh, or is she a hippo i can can't remember there's it's, a cow and a hippo okay i can uh, yeah i think it's the the hippo is the main uh, woman yeah, character. the hippo is the one that goes crazy at the end yeah like miss piggy she's meant to be kind of like yeah. the miss piggy character but it's it was mo- mostly the bunny who kind of uh, you know he, he fucks like a bunny so he's having sex with everyone and thinks he's got aids at the end and this is obviously you know back at a time where that was positioned as this you know it's 
for fear mongering sake, I would say. But then also oh, the yeah. junkie character was really disturbing. The character, the junkie was, rat. Uh, um, uh, was it the rat? I remember a rat and a poodle. Yeah. Um, no, it's, the p- if you yeah. haven't seen, looks the thing that you got to remember about some of these movies, and I had to write this down when we get to one of these titles, is that a person made this movie, and not just a person, the guy who made the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which means this is still inside him. I don't care how legit a person goes. If you had it in your soul to make this fucking madness, it means you still have that in your soul. And I bless you, and I hope you come back because there is word that he's finally going to uh, do remasters of these for Blu-ray because this film has been largely unavailable it's- so hard to see i had a vhs copy of this forever um before i finally sold it and was like i'm not sure i will ever watch this again um but yeah it's because it's icky it's an icky icky movie um but yeah this i don't think this has ever had a blu-ray release or anything like that has it not in the states Uh, not on the states i'm not in new zealand i don't think either i think just dvd i will tell you one i want only behind the scenes story uh, if any of my friends are listening Uh, i was once at a party where the guy who did the voice of the rat threatened me and it was uh, highly, it was something I took with me for a long, I was like, wow, I think we just, I think he does like three voices, this actor. Uh, he was really fucked up, but still. Um, and it always kind of he stuck with me. I, you? Yeah, so it's a, there's a bigger story there. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it will always be like That's that a evil whole podcast. Rat. Okay. Yeah. Adventures in New Zealand filmmaking. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Meet the Feebles is a wonderfully crazy movie. And I just hope one day, like Sam Raimi, that we get one more fucking crazy yep. movie from Peter Jackson. Just go back and make one wild, because uh, we're obviously huge fans. Of, I need uh, his Atlanta. Drag Me to Hell. I need yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. And he needs it. He needs it. He's going to. Yes. Um, so the next one. The next one on our um, most fucked up movies deep cuts list is one that I hadn't seen until last year when I watched it for our Patreon show. Um, And that is uh, the fan or der fan um, from 1982. Yeah, like a German Austrian new wave. uh, You know, a girl is just obsessed by I I, it was relatively new to me, too. I'd always heard of it. But within the last couple of years and I think Monda Macabre put it out. She's obsessed Mm -hmm. by this musician who's kind of like, you know, the uh, a new wave kind of punk character. And uh, she writes to him every day, never hears back. And you get into her world of utter obsession. And then, of course, a moment happens where they actually do uh, randomly meet. They're physically sleep together and then it goes dark dark <laughs> in it the gets last act wild. it gets real dark but it's also it goes, beautifully shot yeah you know it's so gorgeous it's got this kind of dusty grain to it it's very kind of ethereal um yeah. she is absolutely gorgeous and it, but at the same time you feel like she's underage like there's just something seedy about it as well um and, and the just, musician's yeah. the real musician like he's a real he wasn't like an actor he was actually yeah. a new wave artist guy who they got in the movie so it has a lot of that authenticity and and we'll find it we could have made a list probably just with german austrian extreme type there's movies. a lot so, I mean, of those on there <laughs> there is some messed up stuff. I, I think the less we say about the fan except that it's actually a really good movie and it's, it's one really of, good yeah yeah what i didn't it, get from it oh sorry go I was going to say, and it's got this drastic shift, but the, the for the first half where she's just hunting him and trying to meet him, you are completely captivated by it and cheering for her. And yeah. then it gets completely crazy and off the rails in the third act. 
Yeah, what's weird about it, at the start, there's some imagery on her wall of, like, Hitler and stuff, but, like, done in a way that's kind of, like, they don't make a big deal of it. But what's interesting, again, this is a great case where I didn't get the subtext of this movie, but then I read about it, and it was basically all about Nazism. Apparently, it was all about how people become mind-fucked by I got none of that. Oh, neither did I. And yet, that was the entire point of the drink, and probably in Austria and Germany— it probably plays like that somewhat, like because yeah. they are more aware of uh, kind of how that happens. So anyway, uh, Der Fan still available on Blu-ray, and and really, it's a good movie if you can handle extreme. I wouldn't want to ruin where it goes because it's pretty simple. I wouldn't movie. either. Um, so the next one up is um, from Belgium, and this is from 1992, and this is one that I still don't know what to do with because it's one of those where it's kind of comedic, but you're also watching the most fucked up thing ever, and that is Man Bites Dog. Um, The setup of this is that a documentary film crew has found a real serial killer and they want to follow him around to kind of get into his psyche. And really quickly, um, you kind of get that the documentary film crew from hanging around with the serial killer slowly starts kind of becoming um, involved in his crimes and his activity. And the serial killer is charming. It's very much like a Patrick Bateman character um, where he's charming and he's conversational with the crew and slowly they start getting involved. And that's where it gets really fucked up. It's this whole idea of kind of becoming influenced of becoming, you know, part of it um, and, and forgetting kind of what the, the division line is. Complicity, yeah, it seems to be about literally becoming, for our viewers as well, you're becoming complicit in the kind of movies we're talking about. How complicit are you in the violence that you're enjoying on screen? It also seems to be a weird analogy about the role of the director in a movie. It's almost like you think of him as like the the suave director that everyone falls in love with and are willing to do anything for and they get involved in his mania. It's really funny, though, and not to everyone. So that that comes with a caveat. I haven't seen it for a long time, but... I laughed my ass off when I saw it and it's coming on the heels of Pulp Fiction and things like that. So where that humor and people, you know, the marketing of somebody holding a gun at a baby stroller or something uh, with blood coming out, it, it doesn't happen in the movie, but that, that is where, where that the was dark- the marketing. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind and, of wild, but. And I remember, I, I can't say laughing my ass off, but I definitely remember laughing at some of the scenes, which I don't know if I would laugh at now. Like, have I changed yeah, I over either, those actually. 30 years? Um, so it's something that I need to revisit, but at the same time, I've never had to revisit because even though that I've kind of looked at it as something where I was like, that was kind of funny and kind of like a killing of a sacred deer kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, it's haunted me. Like it has haunted me for 30 years. I don't know if it's something that I need to revisit. It's it's no, yeah, I think it's so well executed and it was low budget Mm -hmm. and it, and it made a big splash actually like in the indie world. So I highly recommend it though, if you're interested, it's from Belgium, that one. And so there's Mm -hmm. a couple Belgium films on our list coming up, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Really cool Um, aesthetic with that one too. Um, Next up we have livid. This is the follow-up film from the two folks who made Inside, which is definitely an extreme film. That's the one about the pregnant woman and the scissors. Livid um, is damn near impossible to find here in the States. And it's got kind of an interesting story behind it where um, the Weinsteins decided shortly after Livid came out in France, um, it played 
maybe five or six festivals here in the States. I saw it at Scream Fest. Um, And then the Weinsteins bought it, decided that they wanted to do an American remake of it. And with it, they kind of put an embargo on it here in the U.S. So it was not allowed to release in the U.S. because they wanted to, to be able to release it as kind of, you know, this big film and not have people immediately say like, oh, well, I saw the French version. And so they put an embargo on it, bought the entire thing, And then they never did anything with it. And then the whole company went under. We all know what happened there. And I have no idea where it exists now, but we've still never really had a release of Livid in the U.S. to the best of my knowledge, have we? No, no, not at all. I was looking, I was, when we just did our Halloween episode, I was, uh, you have the import. I don't. I have I was the import, to, yeah. I was trying to see it and there was nowhere I could find to see it. And it's such a beautifully made movie and it's really simple. It's basically home invasion. But if you're breaking into the home of an old vampire character with some really messed up shit, and I, it might even be on a Halloween type night. It, it, there's some mm. allusion to that. Um, but it's just got some really gorgeous, I, I don't know, like of all the films on our list here, it's probably the least disturbing but it's so beautiful and messed up in a way that yeah. if only just to get it on people's radars, I think it's worth being on this, you know? Yeah. And, and because it does, it did fall into the French extremism. Like we had yeah. that, that phase in um, the mid two thousands where we did have, or I'm sorry, uh, it would have been like mid two thousands to about yeah. 2015 or so where we did have frontiers inside martyrs. Um, you know, there was a whole bunch of movies kind of in that grouping and livid was one of them, but it's the one that no one got to see. Yeah. Um, and it's not as extreme as martyrs. It's, it's not as extreme as an inside, but it is beautiful mixed with the extremism. And it's still definitely super bloody. So yeah. I, I, yeah, I hope that one changes. I hope that one gets, gets released. I'd be curious yeah. to know where, where it lies now, but um, if not, you can get a foreign region Blu-ray like you've got. Yeah. I have the foreign import and it's, it's gorgeous. So recommend checking out. Well, let's go a little more uplifting um, with <laughs> something that will lift your spirits. If you believe in the death of religion, humankind and nature, uh, then begotten. Yeah. Is the film for you, um, e. Elias? I know. I, I remember this is one of those ones where I had I had heard of it like super early, and it took yep. me a long time to find a copy. Me too. And when I did, there aren't many movies that actually deliver on being. When I was saying earlier about Meet the Feebles, a human being made this movie. Like a person had to get a crew together and take actors into a field and get them to do like, literally it starts with like, what is it? Christ, like cutting his abdomen. He's disemboweling himself. It is God creates all this stuff. He's very God. Like he's creating all this stuff. And then he's just like, well, I did that. And then he disembowels himself and And then things happen from there. And yeah, Yeah, but there's no words and there's no, it's, it's like if you had just, if no one had ever written, if, if, it didn't have a credit saying directed by and this piece was just released into the universe with no history it would go down as one of probably the most mysterious piece of filmmaking ever because it like it just feels burns un- level of like yeah. where the hell did this film come it from? is otherworldly in that sense and yeah. if he hadn't made other movies i mean the amazing thing is that he made something as funny and and entertaining yeah. as shadow of a vampire a shadow of a-, a vampire and then he never made anything else after that yeah he made suspect um, zero but it kind of tanked he he's my number yeah. one like guy i want to get on a show because i'm so curious to hear I about so many questions but yeah begotten was his one he shot it on like super crazy stock film yeah Um, yeah, and and yeah like 
with like crazy filmmaking techniques, it's grainy as shit. Um, and it's, and I don't even think that that's like my bad VHS, you know, version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was part of the reason that he supposedly never let them release it to like a nice Blu-ray was that he said that it lost something. Um, that as soon as you were crisping up the images, it wasn't the movie that he wanted to make. And um, it makes sense. And- like I, I did know there was a Blu-ray being floated a couple, cause a friend of ours was working on it and I don't think it ended up happening at the end. And I think that would make sense because I mean, be good to have a good version but in the mm-hmm. same i've got it on dvd still and it, it is a movie too. that yeah i don't know no one i don't want to see the strings uh that's for sure no. because i think there's something about it that it's a it's like a spell it's the kind of movie that somebody could put in a movie that the characters you know are witnessing where you'd be like oh, that yeah. would tr- turn you mad or something it feels you know? like the ring video it really does yeah, it's yeah, like better yeah. than the ring video but yeah it's one of these it feels like an just an incredible student film um but like something that you know was but not as an insult like, not, not, yeah, not, not as an yeah, insult yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, yeah. like it's like god made a student film <laughs> yes. um and there we are and, then, so, and yeah. then disemboweled himself <laughs> and then disemboweled himself and was like here you go um so next up we are going back to our italian cannibals and this one it's not the most extreme Italian cannibal, but it's one that kind of people forget a about. Moments. It I does know. have some moments to it. And this is um, this is one that I always uh, trip over the phrase. Anthropophagus. 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 I just anthropophagus, say anthropophagus, a.k.a. the Grim Reaper. And when I was talking yeah. about directors earlier some who have the talent to make Lord of the Rings. There are other directors who do not have the talent to make Lord of the Rings. Uh, I, this is actually one of my favorites on the list in terms of there's some entertainment value to this movie that I love, but but this is Joe D'Amato. And Joe D'Amato, whenever I hear his name, I always think, oh, shit. Like, I'm always a little concerned about what I'm about to see. I'm like, oh, damn. Yeah, because Joe D'Amato, for a, much of his career, he was the guy who was like, let's take these like crazy Italian cannibal movies and put porn in them. And somehow yeah. they are neither good horror nor sexy. Um, they're just kind of hot messes, but you still watch them kind of, you know, they're, yeah. they're very, I've seen a lot of those um, of the cannibal porn movies going, I don't, I don't know. It's neither this or this, and it's not good versions of either, um, but you still watch them. But this, it functions really well when it is doing these extreme shots. And I'll warn you going in that it is a lot travel log. Like the whole thing is that they're going to but, this kind but of, but it's Greece. So it's cool. Yeah, I like seeing it's Greece. Pretty, it's pretty travel log. Like they're going to this deserted Greek Island. Um, and so a, I'd say a fifth of the movie is you watching these like beautiful travel log imagery from a boat. And then they get to the Island and, you know, all hell breaks loose and then it gets really intense. Um, but there's definitely the act of getting to the Island is kind of travel loggy. Yeah, it definitely yeah, it takes, I think it's like uh, 50 minutes or so before George Eastman, who's been in tons of, you'll see him in just tons of genre films in uh, Europe. Uh, he plays a guy, he plays kind of like a, a cross between a zombie and a cannibal uh, mm-hmm. man who seems also like a giant who him and his wife and kid were like stuck on the flashback. I think they're stuck on a boat starving. So he decides to eat them to survive. And now he's menacing this island. But when he pops up, it really delivers. And it's actually, it's one of the few films i've seen only in the last couple years i start just before the blu-ray unfortunately i was watching on youtube for the first time instead of the before the blu-ray and there's a couple moments that not just shocked me but were actually good filmmaking moments where he bursts on the scene it's got tessa farrah from zombie uh mia farrah's uh sister and but it's got a couple if you don't like pregnant woman you are in store for a ripper here uh yeah 
there is one of the most messed up scenes you will ever see uh, of something bad happening uh, to the insides of a woman uh, and the it's baby. Intense. It's intense. And then he, he also kind of like begotten, he does at one point uh, rip out his own guts and eat them. So if that doesn't get so you, you on the list, you got that looking forward to it. So, you don't make yeah. the list, but it's actually it's actually a pretty good horror film, and I, I think it maybe gets a little bit lost in its shock value because there's a couple scenes that are, are just, and it has a great score, so it's still entertaining. So I, I, I think uh, Severin just put this out on Blu-ray. Yeah, plus it's it's a kind of um, a veiled Windigo story. <laughs> Oh, whether or not you get yeah, yeah it's it's very kind of veiled windigo mythology of if you eat people this is what happens so yes um, well, i believe it <laughs> so but on our kind of discard pile you actually put a joe diamato film that i've never even seen before it's, beyond the darkness you, yeah you shouldn't it blew omega it, i mean you I should. shouldn't it, it's very much like his version it's really well made it's actually and it's got a great score from memory it might be claudio simonetti it I, I randomly watched it one day like a few years ago and it is like necromantic in the sense that it's this boy and he's in love with this woman. And then at some point he kills her and then he takes the body home and it's like his mom knows he lives with it and he's having sex with it. It is disturbing. Uh, it's really well made, but my memory of that movie is kind of haunting. Like I, it actually got to me. It's one of those movies where, and it was, it's probably like um, one of the best constructed films Joe D'Amato made. So it feels like a real movie and it's well made, but man, is it, is it bleak? So that, that's why it made our discard. Not our, not our, so that's, our, that's beyond the darkness, which is on our discard list. But yeah, yeah that Boy Omega, crazy. I think is the other title. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so getting close to the end, we have, Calvare. Um, this was one that I blind watched. I had no idea what to expect. This was one, um, this was released around the same time as all of those Tartan movies where they, um, I remember pairing this with Saitan, um, which was released by, uh, which was a French film, kind of like a biblical, still pretty extreme actually, um, that was released by Tartan. And I remember watching Calvare around the same time period. So for some reason, I associate the two together. But Calvare is almost kind of deliverance like or i'd put it in the same vein as um like outback um is wait is that the movie i'm thinking of the one um set in the outback kangaroos definitely has kind of no no you'll know this one um guy with coins on it yeah what is that one bastard wake and wake and fright wake and fright thank you yeah i put them kind of all in the same camp of like this desolate um isolated region where someone is kind of being held captive and not allowed to leave in this one um this man is in a car wreck he wakes up and he is being held captive by this man who um is convinced it is his wife um that it is his wife that uh you find out she slept with the whole town like she she definitely got around um and he has kind of dressed him up to be her and then you go and the guy's a performer yeah the guy who the guy's car breaks down or whatever he is a performer like i think he's singing at some pathetic like you know christmas party or a christmas like town hall from memory but the performance by that guy who plays that character Laurent lucas is so good the guy who's he it's a really one of the kind of great disturbing you know victim roles uh that i've seen 
And and you spend the entire movie, um, they keep talking about this kind of neighboring town, and you spend the entire movie hoping to God that something will happen and the townsfolk will find out or they'll go into the town, and then it actually goes into the town in the third act, and it is so much more fucked up than the entire rest of the movie. Like, yeah. that's where it gets really messed up when you see the entire town um, and goes completely off the rails. So, yeah, this is one yeah. that I... It was go in, go in, not knowing any more. Yeah. yeah, it's just, I mean, only go in if you can handle that kind of, te- it's a very, just a pure intensity. If you if yeah. you can handle a deliverance style movie, it's from Belgium. Uh, Fabrice Duveltz uh, has made a couple mm-hmm. other really good films. Alleluia is a really good one. So it's definitely a voice that's still making these films, but part of the French yes. extreme for sure. Definitely. Um, so next up is uh, one, this is just, it's the acting. The acting is what, keeps this film going i mean it's a hell of a story super extreme but red white and blue from 2010 um for this one we've got and i'm gonna forget the third guy's name but we've got um amanda fuller and i can't remember oh shit uh, i got them i got them i, I, I wrote you. it down uh, australian one of my favorite actors i always loved growing up noah taylor playing yes the really intense uh friend the guy she befriends who used to be a military uh inquisitor or whatever it is and mm-hmm. then mark center who we're used mark, to playing yeah. bad guys in a lot of you know a lot of genre films he's also in it uh and this is directed by simon rumley this was on our list of we did a list of 31 deep cuts for uh horror and October. this is and this one perfectly comes after talking about French extremism because it feels like it's cut from the same cloth as oh God, that, but yeah. just happens to be in Austin. Um, and it's, and it's a hell of, they're all great performances in this one. This one it's, it's at the end of the day, it's a revenge film. Um, but you're right. It does have this kind of French extremism where it's all about rage. It is all about blind rage and not knowing how to control it. And it's literally like one act causes one person's rage, which causes another person's rage. And it just is all very kind of fabric woven together in that capacity. Um, all set in Austin. And yeah, this one, it, it just goes there and it takes a while to get going. Um, you don't realize it's one of those third act explosion movies where you'll spend two acts going, why is this a horror film? And then it just goes there. I watched this on a plane um, oh, wow. and then quickly had to turn it off. Um, I remember making it about 15 minutes in and going, oh God, no, not not here um so yeah because it definitely has some extreme scenes yeah it pulls you in with its naturalism because it's like it's very real that's why it's so disturbing again it's one of these movies it's it's being if it was mpa it's being it would be penalized because of its intensity not what you see um but amanda fuller is is a woman in austin young woman sleeping with people and she has these rules like i won't have a second date i never sleep with the same person twice every night i'm sleeping with somebody different so she's got these rules that set her up in opposition to some of these male characters who then maybe want to be with her again and then she befriends this guy at work this new guy at work who is pretty intense looking looks like he has a lot of backstory and no taylor and uh when things go badly for her he gets pulled in and it goes into this very dark i mean it's just a great performance you guys have seen mm-hmm. him in game of thrones he was in quite a bit of game of thrones towards the end um but he's a great australian actor uh and i just think i just think it's a very intense movie yeah um so next up this is a weird one and definitely a deep cut i put this when we counted down on our patreon the best heart in asian extremes this was on Mm. there for me and that is snake of june from 2002 um and this is the same director who did um 
That duo. That's um, this is what happens uh, when I do these late in the day on a Friday. I'm like, my brain's done at this point. Um, so yeah, Tetsuo, which is also a super extreme yeah. film. Like it totally could be on could this be on list that. in itself. Um, but Snake of June is basically, it's a husband and wife. He is really kind of an overworked businessman and she is just shy. And then all of a sudden there's kind of this mad sexual explosion of them both trying to sexually negotiate kind of where they are in their lives. And it gets nuts. It's super well, it's like surreal. Blackmail. It's like weird. Bla- like, like I actually watched it not too long ago again, cause it's always been a favorite. The way it looks is mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite looking movies. They took black and white film and then they it's tinted it with a blue. Blue. Filter for it's the whole so movie. like blue or monochrome yeah. blue through the whole movie. And it's constantly raining. It's like, constant, it was actually shot in a monsoon season and it's real. Oh, wow. Like they, they, the director waited two years because the seasons were off when he was going to start and he needed it to be shot during a monsoon season. So that, that was part of his whole kind of thinking with it. But um, it's constant yes. rain and it makes it feel so claustrophobic. At times the rain is beautiful and at times it's sexy and poetic. But for most of it, it just feels like it's this constant anxiety outside. Yeah, it's like a dark erotic kind of thriller, I guess. It was probably early 2000 or late 90s. But 2002. It, yeah, the idea, the simple part of it is that, yes, there's a husband and wife in definitely different ages, and he's like this business guy, but that she starts getting photos from somebody who is blackmailing her. He has photos of her masturbating that she's very shy and doesn't want anyone to see. So instead, he says, this guy who keeps calling, who's played by the director, he says, then you're, I'm going to make you do increasingly perverted things yep. to open you up sexually so you won't feel this way. And then we find out that he is a guy who's also dying of some sort of cancer and and so it's it, so it's building into all these weird triangles, but then it'll have these surreal moments outside of that, which are real, almost sci-fy horror Wild. sex scenes like, that are just bizarre, dystopian, yeah. like post-apocalyptic level stuff that just you know it's like 1984 grade sex scenes, um, yeah. that, and that's where kind of the real shock value of it comes in. Is it just? I mean, this is not a hyper gory one. You're not going to see anything. You know, there's no guy shoving screws and wires into his arm like you have in Tetsuo. But this just sexually, like, you just cringe the whole time. Yeah, and it's and it's also just and it's beautiful and wild. And again, it's mm-hmm. it's one of those movies that I, I think the word uh, gets lost on us visionary, but and I don't hear it in the horror circles as much. But this is one of those films this guy where you is. watch and go, yeah, this is a vision. Like this, is somebody who has a vision, and even if his films don't always work, there's an energy between this and Tetsu that's uh, like you can't, you know, they're very different movies, but they both have totally crazy wild energy. He clearly has something to say and an idea. It's like watching art on screen where you can tell that this is not a movie that he just kind of directed. Like he knew this. He saw this entire thing as he was writing it and knew how it would look. So, yeah, it is. It's that kind of visionary element of it. Um, So we are at our last technical one on the list. And this is a doozy. So we said we could have filled the entire thing with kind of Austrian German movies. Um, This is a really intense one. And this is angst from 1983. Um, This is basically just following a psychopath. Like, yeah, but but, but this is the best. If if you ever want to see one movie, it is where where you're following a psychopath. This is the last time where I left a movie where I had to take a breath and go, because I saw it on a big screen before it kind of got its re-release here. Uh, it played one night at the theater here in LA called Cine Family. Uh, a director co- who could have five films on this list called Gaspar Noe introduces the movie. He comes in and he's just like, this is the movie that fucked my shit up and now I'm going to fuck your shit up. And 
it's like because there's one of his films that could have made this list for me which is his uh his first film um i what stand is that alone one? yeah i stand I alone st- really really messed oh, me irreversible up. was pretty intense of course yeah and you see it yeah. this style but angst is um it's basically based on a true story it's an austrian film he saw once when he was young and it basically uh has this guy who has uh, just is getting out of jail uh having uh, killed an older woman once and he's got this kind of uh, lust to kill and it basically is the most in the point of view of a killer movie ever created. So it's not all POV shots, but it's always in his perspective. The camera's basically attached to him at times. The camera, the sound is his breathing and it just never stops moving. And it's basically the bulk of the movie takes place of once he breaks into this house and just person by person, based on a true story, this part uh, as he is killing. And one thing that's interesting is the, um, the faces of the character, even though it's mostly realistic, they kind of look almost blue or like they've got like a powdery face. Yeah, they do. They look unrealistic. Like it's a very much a detachment. Like they look kind of doll like or porcelain. I'll say like they have a pallor to them that doesn't make them look human. No, which makes me wonder, like I didn't think about while I watched it, but now it makes me wonder if that's how he sees them as a way of like, they're already dead to him. So it doesn't matter almost like, but, but this is a film where the energy of it is so intense and so unrelenting. You don't get a break. There is no moment where you're going to get any, any niceties. And the camera Mm -hmm. work is, it's he hired this Polish, Polish uh, cinematographer who had won an Oscar for an animation. And this guy found a way to attach the camera on a low, like, so it's always looking straight up and it's Mm -hmm. just these, these angles where you're like, I wouldn't know how you could even. It's constantly canted. The whole thing is constant canting and moving. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty remarkable just the way it's put together. But it this is this is one of those movies where if you can handle Gaspar Noy's stuff and you watch this, it will it'll make everything make so much more sense. Yep. Uh in context, you know, the movie that fucked him up. <laughs> I watched this after you had gone to that screening and told me about it, and then I was suddenly like, Well, if that's so extreme it fucked Gaspar Noe up, I need to see it. <laughs> and I totally get now why it fucked Gaspar Noe up. And somebody put it out on Blu-ray right after. So it's mm-hmm. kind of amazing. So you can actually get a great version of it now, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so we, after talking about all of this crazy serial killer, really bleak, really intense stuff, we wanted to end with one, um, which may not be, you know, the most gory or the most extreme thing you've ever seen, but it's definitely something that will still shock the shit out of you. But it's a little bit lighter, dare I say. Um, Eighth and wonder so- of the world. Y- yes, it's Adam. <laughs> And this is one that I still still cannot watch this movie um, without going, how the hell does this exist? Um, And this is an Australian film, which one day I had stumbled on this when I was looking up a list of like obscure, weird movies that are hard to get in the States. I had watched it. And then that next week, because I knew Elric was well-versed in Australian movies, I I asked him, I was like, have you ever seen Bad Boy Bobby? Because I'm still like disturbed by this movie. And immediately you were like, I love that movie. It's like everything. It's just, I mean, it's really, Rolf Tahira has made a lot of good, he's kind of like, I view him as like Australia's Michael Haneke, except this one's the real fun. A lot of his are real serious, but really good films. But this one in New Zealand, this was like as cult as it gets, where people are like, bad boy, Bubby, you've seen this one? It basically is a 40-year-old guy who's, or 30-year-old guy who's never left his apartment. His mother tells him that outside of their apartment, the world doesn't exist, really, that their dad has never been there. And he, you know, he was, you know, killed out there in the, whatever has happened, apocalypse or whatever the story the she's fabricated. Apocalypse, she says something about yeah. like a mass war. Yeah, and and so he grows up believing that. So he's like basically like he's this 
I mean, there's something not right with him, right? He's like a child, but he's also got this weird kind of just the way he talks even is just kind of almost like rhyme, you know? Um, but he also uh, explores things like taking glad wrap and wrapping it around his cat and then being disappointed when the cat stops living. That's a shock to him because he hasn't been taught anything. And of course, this all is, and he also sleeps with his mother every night. They have sex. And uh, every time there'll be a scene which got us laughing as 16 year olds, where he'd go, he'd go, great tits, those are mum, eighth wonder of the bloody world. Uh, and the, probably the most quoted line in my uh, childhood, uh, deranged Australian uh, ch- childhoods. But, um, uh, and it's just so his, his view is so limited. And then one day his dad shows up and rocks the entire, just walks in and totally rocks everything. And then eventually he is, he gets out and realizes there's a world out there and it's just totally normal contemporary Australia. He's the one who's out of place and he ends up doing things like becoming a rapper and, uh, and, and doing live stage shows and all sorts of madness. Uh, but it's also got a lot of heart and it's kind of a beautiful <laughs> in the latter part. Like it is, it's like got a lot of good stuff. It's just so, crazy. Yeah. This was one of the most disturbing movies that I've ever seen. But at the same time, it's supposed to be like a screwball comedy. It's literally like it's it's got the same kind of level of filmmaking um, or kind of tonal delivery as Hubie Halloween, um, where it is like supposed <laughs> Adam to be Stanley for the remake of Bad Boy Bobby. I could see it. <laughs> it's just supposed to be this out of sorts character who, but with heart, um, who's now kind of trying to you know get through the world and and but it's so fucked up um, that I still don't know what to make of this movie. Like I I rarely recommend this to people because I'm always like. What are they going to think of me if this is what I'm recommending as like a comedy? Um, but we included on this list because it is by far one of the most fucked up things you will ever see. Um, oh yeah, no, it's, it's it's entertaining it's, and it's dark and like kind of wild, you know. And there just aren't enough movies that have this like weird mixture of tones, you know, which I appreciate. <laughs> I love it. It's it's bonkers. So we figured this was a good place to end with because it's ending on a high note question mark um i mean it's it's black comedy it's funny it's dark i mean we had tons of extra titles on our list like some of them oh my god you could run down a few of them i suppose randoms like in my skin i saw the devil um taxidermia i remember i saw that one kind of unknowing wait there's something behind you you guys there's something right behind you um um, wait what is Oh. oh my god what the fuck is that dude what the hell oh my god oh shit elric elric oh my god oh my god what happened to elric was that was that baby's face i think it was baby's face y'all rebecca was that an infinity screen i mean baby's face i think i think it was baby's face y'all oh my god that's our fifth victim today shit God, we oh. have another show to do on Sunday. I'm sorry, oh my god. He's dead forever now. Fuck. What the fuck? Well, Beelzebub, you want to host a show with me on Sunday now? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, no. Okay, I'm there, okay. Yeah. We'll yeah, just we'll get you in. You, you just you watch you yourself, man. You yeah. just watch yourself, okay? Okay, yeah, I'm gonna be careful and you do the same. Guys, okay, okay. For those of you keeping count at home, that's five for baby's face. Everyone else is at zero. So, oh man. Uh, yeah, just stay tuned. We got another fun one coming up for you. 
Well, thank you all for for having me. Um, yeah, I'm sure Elric would have. I'm sure he had a good time. At least he died out on a bang. So yeah. 